Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Hallelujah. How many know it's time for battle? I said, do you really know it's time for battle? Hallelujah. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read this, then I'll let the team go. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 14. The Passion Translation. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground and help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. We dealt with all of that last week. I thought we were done with that. The Holy Ghost kept bringing me back. So we're going to finish this out. We're talking about it's time for battle. Resist revenge. And make sure no one pays back evil in the place of evil, but always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all the unbelievers. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan, God's perfect will for you in Christ Jesus. Never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Hmm? Do not be one who scorns prophecy, but be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test and afterwards holding tight to what has proven to be right. Avoid ever appearance of evil. Lord, speak today. We need to hear what you have to say. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a mighty praise and a shout as you're being seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time for battle. It's time for battle. You said, I'm tired of battle. It just keeps on coming. So Paul, from a heart of a father, an apostolic father, sees the need to encourage this new church, two years old, all new believers. Probably even the leadership are new in the Lord. And so Paul has this this compulsion of the Spirit He sent Timothy. Timothy came back and said, they're doing good, apostle. Their faith is strong. They've been through a lot, but their faith is still strong. But Paul feels the need to encourage them to be faithful to the end. Despite their opposition, he's telling them, hold your faith. 
And his reason he's saying, hold on to your faith is because God is faithful. So he knew they were doing well when Timothy was there, but he also understood that when the battle continues, you can, you can grow weary. And so he just wanted to make sure apostolically they heard the voice of the father that said, just keep on holding on. Don't give in. Don't give up. Take your faith to the very end. Don't let up on it. God is faithful. In other words, if you don't quit, you will never lose because ultimately the faithfulness of God will prevail. The devil's never won nothing over the believer unless the believer quits. And he can't make you quit. You know, I, I have come to this, this conviction that if we would give as much effort to being faithful as we do to being flawless, we might change the world. Flawless people are going to change the world. Faithful people are going to change the world. God's not looking for a perfect people. He's not looking for a perfect person. He's not looking for a perfect church. He, he, he's just looking to those that know how to submit to a process because they understand on the other side of their situation is going to be a victory if they never quit. So Paul's taking some time here, and he's really equipping the equippers. When, when, you, when you look at the context, you really what? So, so Paul, when, he, when he's talking about brothers and sisters and he's talking about, um, he, he's talking to those whom they have left in places of authority to make sure the body stayed in, in alignment and assignment. He's equipping them to telling them what they need to do. And that's what we dealt with last week. You see, you need to make sure they're all in the right position. You need, you need to make sure they're encouraged and they're not giving up, uh, surrendering to the spirit of inadequacy or entitlement. You need to make sure the weak are strong and there's somebody there to pull them up and build them up. Because we just don't pull them up, we build them up. And then he, then he said, now, now, you, now this is going to take a while, so be patient. They're going to let you down. They're going to look you right in the eye knowing what they're doing is wrong, and they're going to let you down. And you're going to have to be patient with them. See, spiritual leadership isn't as easy as you think it is. And me, you look at how we preach. You look at me because we're pretty confrontive and we're pretty straightforward. And, 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 but, you know, when you, when you get one-on-one with someone and you, and you sit across a, 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 a couch with them or a cup of coffee with them, you understand it's a whole different environment. Because that's where true uh, discipleship takes place, you see. Yes? I'm just trying to be apostolic and teach us a little bit today. My back's a little sore this morning, so I'm leaning a little more. But I'm good. But this, this, is, this is what I want us to get today. That it's time for battle. The battle is coming. But we must do more than just battle evil. This is important to where we're going today. Not only are we called to battle evil, but we are also called to manifest the character of Christ. 
the anointed one. While we are pushing on and we are pushing back the darkness, we must also be establishing hope for a brighter day. This is important. Our nation needs the church to understand our authority to stand and to push back evil. But at the same time, we understand how establish hope in the hearts of people that there is a brighter day. There is another way. There's another way. We may may not be able to shift a a whole evil atmosphere, but at at the same time, we do have the capacity to establish an opposing atmosphere that says, no, this is evil and it will kill you. But there is hope because there is another way. So when I was thinking about this concept that it's time for battle again, and I was going back over what we talked about last week, I I, I thought it's important, obviously, that we find our place in battle. That is so huge. It's so important. And I could not shake the one definition of being unruly. You know, that unruly, that's where we get the whole concept of being out of of position for battle. And and, and that that definition of, of unruly was an army that is advancing in disarray. Because when I read that again and I kept thinking about that, I kept thinking about, you know what? To me, that, that sounds like maybe, maybe a lot of the church in, in America today. Uh, we, 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 battle is coming. Battle is coming. We've got to gather ourselves for the battle and do the best we can. Uh, but we're, we're, we're trying to move forward, but we're moving forward in disarray. We have no alignment. We have no authority. We have no, no, no capacity at all to really push back and, and, and to, to resist the powers of darkness that's trying to rise and take over our nation. There has to be an ecclesia. There has to be a people that understand. You know what? We better be ready for battle because the battle is coming whether we're ready or not. And my mind went to this, this uh, text in, in Psalm 78. Psalm 78, uh, verse 9. I, I, w- I want to read this. Out of the, uh, the, the Passion Translation. And it says, Take, for example, the sons of Ephraim. Though they were all equipped... They were all equipped warriors, each with weapons. When the battle began, they retreated and ran away in fear. They didn't really believe the promises of God. They refused to trust him and move forward in faith. They forgot his wonderful works and his miracles of past. Even the exodus from Egypt, the epic miracle of his might, they forgot the glories of his power at the place of passing over. See, this is what I, this is when I, when I, that, that kept coming up in my spirit. When I was thinking about an army marching forth, understanding we're really not into this thing. We're really not prepared for this thing. We're really not equipped for this thing. Oh, we look like we are. The church at large looks like it's ready to take on the task of this generation. But I have come to tell you my concern is that we are not. We are not. And when we get into the heat of the battle, you've got to make sure you understand who your God is and what your God has done and what he is capable of still doing. So it's time for battle, and part of the battle is for the ecclesia to begin to take on personal responsibility for the atmosphere over our nation. Well, it's the administration. 
It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's this. It's that. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. Who has the authority? Who has the power? Who's light? I come to say something because we want to blame it on everybody else, but we've got to take responsibility for where we are as a nation, for where we are. And there needs to be somebody that's going to shift. And there again, we're not, we're not just taking territory and we're not just taking ground. We are establishing a culture of revival. I'm going to preach. Establish a culture of revival. We feel like that is part of our assignment. It's huge. Don't understand it. Don't know how it happens. All of you that joined with our family today, get up under the assignment. Align yourself with the assignment. You can't be in this house and not be a revivalist. Well, well, you can, but you won't be happy about it. Actually, before we begin to take on personal responsibility for the atmosphere of nation, we have to take on responsibility for our personal atmospheres. See, there you go. We have to take over responsibility for the atmospheres of our lives, our homes. Our churches, our cities, our states, and then our nation. Isn't it the way it always works? It boils right back down to us individually. Praying into all this, and I heard, I know I heard the Holy Spirit, especially after this morning, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Clear the air. Clear the air. Clear the air. You see, as the ecclesia, as a revival church, we must understand that we have the spiritual capacity to produce, to prepare, and to protect atmospheres. Now, I'm not going to break that down, but you guys, you learned, you know, you know. So I begin to look at this text because I felt like somewhere in this text were marching orders for a revivalist. You know, this is not new, that you are atmosphere setters. Attitude determines atmosphere. This is simple stuff. You go, if, 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 you, if you have a really negative attitude and you're all angry and critical and, and, all, and, and you walk in here, you're going to quench. Your attitude has just created a personal atmosphere. You're kind of like the, who, who's the guy that walks around with a cloud over him all the time? Linus? What? Pig pen. Anyway, that's some. See, see, see. Some of us, we we walk in here like that, and we just think it don't matter. 
But it does matter. It does matter. Just like husbands, when you walk into your house, if you walk into a nasty attitude or with a nasty attitude, you're going to create an atmosphere that's already going to be volatile in your house. Or it could be the wife. I'm just giving. See, that's real simple. We understand this. But what we don't understand is how powerful it is. The Holy Spirit should clear the air. Clear the air. And he said, I want you to finish this out because this, this right here, marching orders, marching orders for revivalists. It's time for battle. If it's time for battle, you've got to have marching orders. And I really believe as we're, as we're, as we're closing out this year and, and, and moving into a new year, and, and I believe that we've got to clear the air because there's some things that we've got to straighten out. We've got to get right. We've got to get placed in, in, in priority where our personal responsibility, all of us take personal responsibility, not just to praise team, not just Pastor Kim and Pastor Paul and our pastoral team and our servant leaders and all of those that give so much. No, you have to understand. Remember, there's no entitlement. There is no free ride. And so I'm, 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 I'm looking at this. I'm going, okay. Verse 15, resist revenge. And make sure that no one pays back evil in the place of evil. But always pursue doing what is beautiful to the one and to all unbelievers. To one another and all believers. Okay. Clear the air. Are you ready for this? What God is about ready to release in this house demands purity of relationship. No more fake relationships. Come on, y'all. Aren't you tired of going to church and everybody's a fake? Nobody really loves anybody. Nobody really cares about anybody. Nobody's willing to battle for anybody. You walk in and you walk out and you're just doing a thing. But aren't you glad that God said, I got to have a place of purity of relationship. I got to have real people with real relationships. You see, I learned, I learned a long time ago that God only inhabits healthy relationships. He doesn't dwell in dysfunction. He'll heal dysfunction. He'll challenge dysfunction, but he won't live there. See, the presence and the power of God is not going to come to a place of dysfunctional people in their relationships. So stop the gossip. Don't be talking about your brother. Don't be talking about your sister. Stop the competition. Stop, stop all the stupidness that we get in our relationships. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. 
I love you and I want you here, but if you can't get along with people, you may have to go somewhere else because I prize his presence over yours. And so Paul, the apostle, starts here with, tell them to resist revenge. Hey, look, all of us, all of us have reason to release revenge. But our text says, Resist revenge. The word resist means to run from it with terror. Run from it. Because there's not one person in this room that has not been wronged, that has not been wounded. There's not one person in this room that has not taken the bait of Satan of offense. There is not one person in this room that has not tasted betrayal. Disloyalty, slander, gossip. Not one. So why do you think you're special and you get to get revenge? It's not that, it's not that we all didn't want to. And we may even thought about how it would work. I don't know that. I'm just guessing. But here's the bottom line. Revenge does not bring freedom. And it doesn't make you feel better. And it doesn't make things even. Leviticus 19:18. God said, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then I thought it was interesting. He ends this, this verse by saying this, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. What, is that? what, what does that all mean? Don't take revenge. Don't hold a grudge against, against your family and against your neighbor. Don't do it because I am the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, it's God's way of saying, I got this. I don't need you over here being vengeful. I don't need you over here holding a grudge. I got this. I'll take care of this. I am the God of justice. I am the God of vengeance. If you can't trust me enough, I'll take care of this. All what I need you to do is loose them and let them go. Revenge does not bring freedom. From pain, hurt, betrayal, and all the whole list. You see, when we, when we refuse to let go and forgive, we're actually giving these negative emotions, because that's what they are. Life. They stay alive. 
And then you're always dealing with them. You get up in the morning, you go to bed at night. Anytime you get depressed, all of these emotions come up and you just keep them alive because you refuse to let go. I'll show them. No, they just showed you they still have power over you. You, you really want you, 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 you. So you see, only forgiveness has the power to set us free. The grudges. You know, we've, we've used this many times in, in, in our freedom encounters, and that is to forgive is to set the prisoner free. To find that the prisoner was me. Set yourself free today. Clear the air. Be the bigger person. Put coals on their head. Buy them lunch. Send them a card. I don't know. Have revival. This, this, this relationship thing is deep in revival. It means a lot to God because revival is a holy thing. It is a valuable thing. And he's not going to give it to a bunch of people that don't like each other. It's important how we treat one another, how we speak to one another. Not just when we're around each other, but when we're away from each other. And if somebody comes to you talking about somebody else. Stand up for your brother. Stand up for your sister. Hey, you might as well, because if they'll talk to you about somebody, they will talk to somebody about you. Don't trust the gossiper. Don't trust him as far as you can throw him. I think we've covered that sufficiently. And then he kind of flips the script. And he talks about the fact that we should rejoice always. Rejoice always. He said, we should rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks. Not sometimes. All the time. And as I was just pouring over these things, then I began to realize something. I began to realize that sustained revival puts a demand on us to increase our spiritual capacity in joy, prayer, and thanksgiving or gratitude. Let me, let me talk about this joy always because always is, is, is the part that's tricky. Everybody wants to rejoice, but he's telling us to rejoice always. 
Now, let me go back to the fact that we're setting atmospheres. Joy sets an atmosphere. Prayer sets an atmosphere. Gratitude sets an atmosphere. As we, as we move forward in the unfolding of the end of time, which we know will be difficult times, troubling times, dark times, there must be a people in the earth that understand and have a spiritual capacity in the midst when all of that is shaking and all of that is quaking, still understands how to rejoice, pray, and be thankful. Lord, help me preach this right now. Did you know it's possible to have salvation but not experience the joy of salvation? So apparently, these things are the will of God for us. The plan, the purpose of God is that his people will rejoice always. Pray. The, the, the understanding of these three commands, because they're commands, is don't stop. Don't stop rejoicing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop being thankful. Don't stop. No break. No joy break, no prayer break, no gratitude break. So apparently the will of God then is that we grow beyond having emotional highs and lows and live in a place of ever-increasing joy. Because the joy I'm talking about is not an emotion. The joy I'm talking about comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, it is, the, it is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. Supernatural joy. Supernatural prayer. Supernatural gratitude. It blows the world away. And it breaks open atmospheres. Did, did you know... Did you know that the Garden of Eden in the Hebrew means delight or joy. That God created man to live in a place called joy. Therefore, our created propensity is to crave joy. Everyone wants to have joy. We, we, but we confuse happiness and joy because happiness is an emotion. Happiness, we know, is temporary. Happiness happenstance. Happiness, it, 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 it comes to us when all the situation around us is, it has lined up perfectly, the stars and the moon, everything's lined up good for us, and all is good and all is well, and we're just so happy about life right now because, man, it can't get any better than this, and it certainly can't get any worse than this, and so I'm just really happy. I'm happy, happy, happy. And so, and so we, 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 confuse, we confuse joy and happiness. Or really, what we do is we confuse joy and fun. Are we having fun? Are we having joy? 
So herein lies, herein lies the deception and the delusion of much of the modern church is our misunderstanding of joy. This is the reason many churches have taken on an entertainment model. They try to be very strategic to place things in their services that they deem entertaining. Fun. If they were, if they were, you know, if we had critics, if we had critics. And mockers, they would say, y'all don't like to have fun at church. Y'all are intense. You push. You push your praise. You push your worship. You push in your preaching. Y'all a bunch of pushy people. That's not fun. I think it's fun. I think we have fun. I don't know you better. I like worshiping God. It's fun. I don't like just listening to somebody else worship. I like to worship myself. I don't like songs that just tell me about worship. I like songs that move me and move heaven to earth and move my life into his presence. I think that's fun. But much of the church today, because we think what the world wants is fun, we try to create a fun atmosphere. Some almost a circus atmosphere. And they say, aren't we having fun? Because the two people get up there and they're like trying to be comedians. And they're not even funny as David and I am. Actually, I'm not very funny. It's always by an accident. <laughs> Never pre-planned. What am I talking about? <laughs> oh, joy and fun. But really, they don't, really, the world, really, come on. They're not going to church to have fun. If they want to have fun, they're going to go somewhere else where they know they can have fun which they deem fun, which is entertaining to them. Because you see, see, joy is an internal experience that comes by the presence and the peace of God. Because God is faithful, I can live at a place of joy because I know that my God is faithful. Fun, fun demands that I have I have some kind of external entertainment that causes me to forget what is happening in my life so I feel better about my life. At least I can get a few minutes, a few breaks about all what's going on. And, and, and I know when I get done with the fun, I'm going to go back into that dark place. I'm going to have to go back into that painful moment. I'm going to have to go back to that house and go back to those people, go back to that job. It's all waiting on me. But let me tell you something. When you got joy, it surpasses that. And you move back into those situations with the power of joy. Do 
Do you remember this in Corinthians 8 too? I, I didn't put it on the screen, but we, we read it a few weeks ago when it talked about the fact that the churches of Macedonia had gone through a difficult season and an extreme season of suffering. But it said they became more filled with joy. They became more filled with joy. I, I've come to tell you the greatest levels of joy are going to come to you in the darkest seasons of your life. Joy does come in the morning. Joy does come. You, when joy comes, it doesn't come to get you through it. It comes to make you established in the situation. Um, it said that they had an overflowing, superabundant joy. So here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God has not given us the spirit of heaviness. But he's given us a garment of praise. The spirit of holiness doesn't, or the spirit, excuse me, of heaviness does not respond to fun. That's why people walk into their churches and it's supposed to be fun. But the spirit of heaviness doesn't leave. Because the spirit of heaviness only responds to joy. The spirit of heaviness bows to joy. Joy will always overcome the atmosphere of heaviness. Now, we all have to deal with the spirit of heaviness. It'll try to come on all of us any moment and any time, especially if you're in a difficult season. But I've got to tell you, when you walk up into the house of God, when you walk around your house, don't let that spirit of heaviness have its way. Put on your garment of praise. Put on your garment of praise. And when you do, heaviness must bow. This is why sometimes the team has to push because some of us walk in here. It doesn't take a whole lot. I don't understand that part. But walk up in here and you're up under a spirit of heaviness and you're just not pushing and you're not praising and you need to let the joy of the Lord become your strength and you need to rise up and you need to make sure you got a praise in your mouth and if you got to jump, you better jump. If you got to clap, you better clap. If you got to run, you better run. You better do whatever you got to do to make that spirit bow because you don't have to live under a heavy spirit. These are the marching orders. As we go into a new year, rejoice always. Pray Without ceasing, don't stop praying. Obviously, there's been controversy over these, these things because there, you say that's impossible to always pray and it's impossible to always rejoice. It is if we're doing it in our flesh, but these are spiritual dynamics. The joy of the Lord is our strength, not the joy of Paul.
So what Paul is addressing here, I believe, when he talks about praying always or praying without ceasing, is what Paul is addressing here is the lack of the spirit of prayer in the atmosphere. If you pay attention and you walk into another church, you'll know immediately. Is there a spirit of prayer in this church? Or has it been years since somebody's prayed? I'm going to a place to preach, and I know there's no spirit of prayer here. Paul is dealing with an issue. And it's the same issue I think I need to deal with for just a moment. Because this is a house of prayer. I don't have to do, spend a lot of time on this. But Paul was dealing with the fact that he was raising up a generation that did not have the capacity to stay in the place of prayer. Many churches today Understand prayer, preach on prayer, teach on prayer, but very few pray, especially in extended times. Young people, the revival that my wife has been preaching about, how do you say that? World changing, history making. Nation changing, shaking. I'll never forget that again. If you want that, you better not lose the spirit of prayer. The spirit of prayer puts pressure on you to pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It puts pressure on you to pray. See, this is a house of prayer. And many of you have made the choice to step into the blazing fire of gap intercession, which is our corporate prayer meeting. Literally hundreds, 400, 500. Every week, step into this place under the spirit of prayer. This is why you get to enjoy all of this. And for this, we are eternally grateful, believing that more of you will be coming and more of you will will, will join with us, that we can pray without ceasing, that we can understand how to live under the spirit of prayer. But see, I have come to, to, to apostolically warn you, don't confuse gap meetings with having a prayer life. As powerful as it is and as wonderful as it is, and we needed to get stronger and grow larger and be more in-depth and more anointing and greater spirit of prayer, don't forget you are a life of prayer. What am I saying? That's not enough. Oh, you're only going to breathe on gap night because prayer is the oxygen of the Christian life.
It's like breathing. You know why you breathe? Because we breathe without thinking about it. Because atmosphere pressure, atmospheric pressure sits on our lungs and says, breathe. Oh. The spirit of prayer sits and puts pressure on us until it's like breathing. So it's not like, oh, this big deal. I have a prayer time now. Well, if you don't have one, you need to get one. You need to be intentional. You need to be strategic. You need to make it happen because it's not going to happen by accident. I get all of that stuff. But God's wanting to push us to a place to where prayer is like breathing. No matter where we are, what we're doing, he can come in any moment. Holy Spirit of prayer and put pressure on our spiritual lungs that we begin to breathe the will and the purposes and the power of God. Stop holding your breath. I don't know how you do it. Some of you hold your breath from Wednesday night to Wednesday night. I don't know how you get I don't know who. Maybe let out a little on Sunday morning. Ah, y'all do know that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Sunday morning worship experience. You might as well go ahead and increase your capacity because some of you think when you get to heaven, you're just going to get before the throne on a Sunday morning for an hour. Ah, it's 24-7, baby. And God is looking for the people that he can trust with prayers, with utterances, and, 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 and that would understand how to breathe. You know the enemy, if he can't kill us, in our sin, he will try to kill our spiritual life. And the way he kills our spiritual life is he kills our prayer life. You need to get into the presence of God and breathe every day. It's life. You don't do it just to get life. You do it because you are alive. Right? Almost done. These are our marching orders, revivalist. It's time for battle. So we must learn how to always give thanks. He says, we must learn to give thanks in everything. Notice it doesn't say for everything. It says in everything. Some people misquote this and say we got to give God thanks for everything. Having some trouble with my back right now? I am not thankful for that. But in it, I will still give thanks. I, I, I want us to understand this. Because in gratitude... Is sin. One of the indictments against the end time generation is that they would have ungrateful hearts. It's spoken to twice in your New Testament. 
ungrateful hearts. That they would be cold towards God. Indifferent to his fiery love. Let me just deal with this one more time, maybe. Entitlement is constantly eroding at the gratitude of a generation. It's hard to be thankful for something you think you deserve. You know, when you think you deserve everything, And you think everyone around you should understand this, how wonderful you are and how amazing you are. It has a way of taking away whatever you receive, no matter how small. See, if you can't be thankful for small things, you'll never understand how to be grateful for big things. Because you always deserve it, no matter how small. Matter of fact, you get a little frustrated with small things. Really, this is it? This is it? This is it? Can you please break away from this spirit of entitlement and understand that everything good that comes into your life is because God has graciously given it to you? I said it last week, but see, people that are in entitlement, they struggle with difficult days because they don't think they should have difficult days and everything should be perfectly aligned in their life and everybody ought to make sure that they're perfectly aligned and they have everything they need. But somebody that is grateful is just thankful that I could get a crumb from the master's table. I'm just thankful that he would think about me. I'm just thankful. Psalms 26, 7 said, I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. I see, see, gratitude, gratitude, and I guarantee you all over America today, there's preachers talking about the attitude of gratitude. It's like, oh, but you know, hey, it works. They're all, Thanksgiving's coming, got to pull out my, 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 my attitude of gratitude message. You know, dazzle them because the fact that I can actually say two words, they rhyme, attitude and gratitude. And then we got to have an attitude of gratitude. Don't, don't get mad at me. I did the same thing. I preached that message before, but here's what I've come to tell you. I think we got to graduate from having an attitude of gratitude to having gratitude with an attitude. Oh, you may hear what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having an attitude. I'm talking about having gratitude that that, that makes heaven understand that there's still one voice, at least one voice that is grateful for the goodness of God in my life and for the goodness of God in my family, in my church, in my nation. Oh, it's got some issues, but I am thankful and I have gratitude with an attitude. I'm not shutting up. I'm not sitting down. I'm not backing off. I am a person of thanksgiving 
See, attitude has a way of producing worship. So, one of the dangers of being ungrateful is we become passive in our praise. Become passive. I'm not going to praise today. What's wrong with you? Have we forgotten a place called the cross? Have we forgotten? Let me go back to the joy of salvation. You can have salvation and not have the joy of salvation. Why? Because you have forgotten what paid for your salvation and you have forgotten what he has saved you from. So you have no joy in it. But if you realize that my joy and my gratitude is not based on what I see around me, but it is based on what he has done in me and what he has done for me. Therefore, I can rejoice in my salvation. Therefore, I can have a heart of gratitude before God because it's not just about what he has done and it's not just about what he is doing, but it's about what he is going to do. You see, Thanksgiving completes your faith. Thanksgiving says it's done, so I'm going to go ahead and give him thanks, praise, glory, honor. See, see, we, 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 you know, we say Thanksgiving, praise, worship. We like Thanksgiving is like down on the rung, you know. But my Bible says you enter his gates with Thanksgiving. My Bible says you enter his courts with praise. It's the password into the glory of God. Thanksgiving, 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 Thanksgiving. See, gratitude is an attitude that does dwell on the inside of us. But Thanksgiving is the expression of that gratitude. If I'm truly grateful and I'm filled with gratitude, then I will have a voice. And that voice is the voice of thanksgiving. And I will make sure that I lift up that voice every day because I want to enter his gates with thanksgiving. I want to thank him that I haven't forgotten, though it's been many years, most of my life, that I haven't forgotten. There's still a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. I was on my way there, but Jesus stepped in my place, gave his life, shed his blood. Three days later, God up, went into heaven and sat down and said, now I am here as to ever intercede for you. You see, you got to understand this. If that's not enough, there'll never be enough for you to praise him. So gratitude is an attitude. Thanksgiving is an expression of that gratitude. You see, the devil can't do anything to people who are engaged in joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. (laughs) 
So obviously, obviously the atmosphere that God is trying to create through our joy, through our prayer, and through our gratitude is the atmosphere of fire. He goes on to tell us, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. It's time for battle, church. Do you know there's coming a demarcation in the church, and the demarcation will be the fire. It will be the fire. There's something about joy, prayer, and gratitude that cause the atmosphere to be purified by fire. I believe God is getting ready to manifest a level of fire. Not just over his church, but over this house. Because fire is a visible manifestation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fire that purifies. Fire that causes passion to rise up inside of us. Fire of the Holy Spirit. I feel God in this place. I want you to stand all over this room. Our text says, never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. He says, go ahead and let the authentic fire fall. That's why he's talking about us here, about discerning. The authentic fire. And the reason he's doing this is because the authentic and the fake fire look real close alike. That's why you have to discern it. But I'm telling you, the level of fire that's going to come is going to be so striking that many will say that it is false. Because they do not have the capacity to discern beyond what they have already experienced. So the apostolic charge then is don't put it out. Discern it. Don't extinguish it. I don't know what that means, and I don't know what that looks like, but I felt it very strong. It's time for battle, church. It's time. 
And I'm feeling it especially from now until the end of the year. It's time. Watch your back. Don't get sucked in to revenge. Watch when those old relationships begin to pop up. Be careful. Don't get pulled into it. Don't get pulled into it. Beware of the spirit of heaviness and the lack of zeal in your prayer times. I'm trying to speak to you apostolically today. I'm trying to establish something because everything I've taught you creates atmosphere. Don't let that ungrateful spirit get on you. And don't put out the fire. Father, I ask you to speak deeply to your people. Pour out my soul to them today, oh God. Because what you are in the process of doing demands greater spiritual capacity out of all of us. You know what? I want you to join me around the front of the building and we're going to we're going to surrender ourselves as I know we did earlier. But I feel like God is wanting to really pull, stretch, stretch, stretch our capacity to forgive believers and unbelievers, to stretch our capacity for joy, prayer, and gratitude, that the fire of God may burn around us like a shield. Lord, we loose your fire now, God, to burn like a shield around your people. Lord, I thank you. The manifestation, visible, fiery manifestation is coming upon this house and upon your people. I thank you for wisdom to steward it. But I pray now, oh God, let there be, let there be in, 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 a in filling let there be oh god a transfer of glory and power lord we are ready it's time for battle we will not turn back in the day of battle but we are ready to establish your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven we are ready, oh God. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.